Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your greatness. We recognize it this morning as those of us who come to this place as people who are redeemed, people who used to be dead and are now alive through your mighty power, that you have uh, given us new life, you have given us eternal life, you have shown us hope, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness in every single way. And so because of that, Lord, we do uh, let our souls sing. Uh, Lord, we, we see your power, uh, and we ask that you would give us courage and opportunity to share what we have seen. Lord, we ask that we would not be passive in that way, but instead we can't help but share what you have done in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless us as a church, make us people who, um, who reach out, make us people who share testimony, make us uh, your witnesses in every single way. Lord, we ask for a blessing for uh, the larger church here in Kerrville, that you would be with all believers who bend their knee this morning to the name of Jesus Christ. And in particular, Lord, that you would be with Holy Cross Lutheran Church, that this morning they would be uh, inspired, that they, that they would be comforted, that they would have your Holy Spirit guide them and light a fire in them to go out and be your disciples in every way. And through that, more people would come to know you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray all of this in the church said. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's good to be with you. It is so good to be with you. I've missed you uh, not being here this last week. And then this past Wednesday, I was ill and didn't get to be a part of us going around and praying over the church. Uh, a lot of people have asked. I appreciate your prayers. I wasn't that sick, I didn't think. Uh, didn't feel that bad. Was running a little bit of a fever. I think the hardest part of it was being at home and going, well, I'll just work from home and cracking open my laptop, which has facial recognition software to open up and it going, nope, don't recognize you. <laughs> leaning in a little bit and he goes, nope, don't recognize you. And I remember leaning way in and it's going, nope, don't recognize you. And that's the part where it, it really kind of hurt my feelings more than anything <laughs> is to go, I think I look a lot worse than I feel. And um, so that was kind of hard. But um, uh, ready to be here and excited to share uh, with you this morning. Just something God's been putting on my heart, and I'm excited about it. I want to share it with you. But I did want to mention, for those of you that were here this past Wednesday night, we had the opportunity to start our year off praying over this place. We are, we are inviting, and we're going to mention this, seeking his way. We're in the middle of a new visioning for us. We're trying to decide what is God's way for us? How can he guide us? How can he mold us and shape us and change us to be the church that he wants us to be? And there's no better way for us to do that than to start the year off in prayer. Uh, it takes great humility for us. We need to be humble people asking the Lord to guide us. And so this past Wednesday night, we had stations, 12 stations around the building, every place from the front doors uh, to the children's wing to come and pray and ask the Lord guide us. Bless every person who walks into this building this year, especially those who may be hurting and those who may be seeking the Lord. Bless every child that walks into these classes. Let them hear about their Heavenly Father. Let them come to grow up and know about their Heavenly Father and how much they are loved and what He says about them so that they may come to walk their eternal lives with Him and dedicate their eternal lives. And so we had this great opportunity. I'm so thankful for those of y'all that were able to be a part of that. If you were not, we've got the little station boards up there that were around. We encourage you to go look at those. Uh, there are things for you to continue praying over throughout the year. There's first names of the kids that are in the classes, and there's the people that help greet. And we want you to pray over us, and we want you to pray over the folks that will come in here. And we want to let you know this morning that if you are here for the first time with us, uh, we are so grateful that you're here. Uh, we think that God had a hand in it. 
We believe that that may be one of the reasons that you're here is because the Lord led you here. And we want to show you more than anything what it means to walk in the truth of Jesus Christ. And so we're glad that you're here. And if you're online, we want to remind you again, Happy New Year. And we are so glad that you're with us too and that we get to talk to you. So let's, let's dive into this a little bit because like I said, I'm excited to share with you this morning something that I've been able to, the Lord's been working on me on and I, I, get, I get excited when I learn something new and when I see something in Scripture that I haven't seen before. So I want to share that with you this morning. Uh, as we begin this year and we continue with our seeking God's way uh, for our vision, we're going to be spending some time in Acts for a while. And the reason that we're going to do that is because Acts comes right after the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are the Gospels. And then after that, what you have is Jesus' ascension, and then he, he leaves his people here to go, now you go be me. You go be the church in this world. And so what you have is this group of people that have been saved and they've been redeemed and they know Jesus and they're going, now what does it mean for us to go be the church in this world that doesn't know Jesus and that doesn't know what it means to belong to him and that doesn't know about the resurrection, about a man that was dead and now who is up and alive and, and lives and reigns forever and about this new kingdom. And so they're trying to figure that out. And, and that's still what we do. We're still going, as believers, what does it mean for us to be the church in this world? How do we do that well? And so one of the things that we're going to be spending the next few weeks on is uh, uh, Scripture in Acts 1.8. And this is probably one you, you know, but we're going to spend some time delving into this. This is what Jesus told his disciples before he left to uh, send to go back to heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's him describing what you're going to do, and he talks about it kind of in concentric circles. This far, and then this far, and then this far, and then everywhere. You're going to go, and you're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to be my people. And one of the things that he says is, wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to empower you, and then you're going to go and do this. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit last year, and if you haven't, weren't able to listen to that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those as we crack open and talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and what it does for us, because you've got to have it. You have to have it. As a believer in Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to go and live out our mission as the church. So that's an important part. But I really want to talk about this morning, this part where he says, I'm going to send you out and you're going to be my witnesses throughout these areas. Now, in particular, what I want to talk to you about is these things that happen right around here. After the death of Jesus, there's three big things that happen. And sometimes we get confused about the timeline. One is there was the resurrection, which is really important. For a guy who said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to get back up again, and then did it, that matters more than anything in the world. So there's the resurrection, and that happened. Then there was the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is where Jesus told his disciples, now here's your job, here's what I want you to do. And he talks about it in the Gospels, and he says, here's, I want you to go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, realize that I'm with you always. So there's, there's this Great Commission, there's this job that he gives us to go do. Okay, there's, that's the second thing. And then there's the ascension. And the ascension is what we call where Jesus spent his time here and then he ascended up to heaven where he resides, okay? So there's resurrection, there's great commission, and there's the ascension. Now, as I grew up, I always kind of put all three of those things together. 
that they almost happen within hours of one another. And for some of the reasons for that is because when you had some old movies of what it was like for Jesus, what happened was he was resurrected and, and the women saw him and then they came back and they get the disciples and the disciples run outside of town and there's Jesus and he's standing on a, on a hill and he says, now I want you to go out and preach the gospel and he gives them the great commission and then he disappears. And it all happened right there together. As a matter of fact, I had a little uh, children's Bible that had the pictures in it. And that's kind of the way that it put it together in there, too, is to be able to show. So there's resurrection, great commission, and the ascension. But that, that's not the way it happened. As a matter of fact, if you really go and you delve into this and you look, because the Gospels give you different parts of this, Jesus, after his resurrection, was here on the earth for about 40 days before he ascended. And those 40 days are really important. There's a lot that happened during that time. Because one of the things that happened is you had disciples that were scattered, running all over the place and hiding, and then you have disciples that are really focused, preaching and living out this great commission that he gives us. So those 40 days are really important. And so what I want to do is talk to you a little bit about one particular part that I've often missed when he talks about those 40 days of what Jesus did. So if you'll stick with me for a little bit here. I'm going to start with, with the end, the ascension. Remember, we're talking resurrection, great commission, and ascension. So let's talk the ascension. This is the last part at the end of the 40 days. Okay, and this is in Acts 1, 9 through 12. So this follows the scripture we were just in here. This happens near Jerusalem in the Mount of Olives. I want you to know where this happened. This is where Jesus finally did ascend, and this is what it says, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from his sight, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk, about a mile, from the city. Okay, so that's where that occurred. It, it happened right outside Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. That's where that occurred. That's the third thing. Okay, now let me take you to the first thing that happened. The resurrection also happened right outside Jerusalem. Okay, so the beginning of this 40 days, the end of this 40 days happened in the same place. This is Matthew 28, 10, and this is Jesus when he encounters Mary, and this is what he says on the day of the resurrection. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So one of the things that we often blow past is this idea that when Jesus met Mary and the women on the day of resurrection, he said, I want you to tell them to go to Galilee. Now we look at that and we go, well, I don't know that that's such a big deal. But they did. They went to Galilee and it led to a huge change in their lives. So between the resurrection right outside Jerusalem and the ascension right outside of Jerusalem, he said, go to Galilee. That's where you're going to see me. And it changed everything. They went from this group of people that were scattered, running and hiding all over the place to these people who would boldly now stand up and preach the gospel and talk about who Jesus was, even to threat of death, where most of them ended up dying a martyr's death because of that. And something happened during that time that's going to make them these witnesses that he said you're going to be. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. What is going to prepare them to become these witnesses? One we know is the Holy Spirit that happens on Pentecost. That's after Jesus ascends. Something else happens during this time that is really important. 
And that's this great assignment he gives them. We call it the great commission of what he gives them. But he didn't do it in Jerusalem. What he did was he did it in Galilee. And they did go to Galilee. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is the middle part. Remember, we got resurrection in Jerusalem. We got ascension at the end in Jerusalem. In between then, this is what they did. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. By the way, they don't tell us which mountain. It just says he told them a mountain. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I love that part. They're, they're seeing resurrected Jesus and still some doubted. I have, I have a lot of sympathy there. For Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the assignment. But he gave it to him in Galilee, not in Jerusalem where he's resurrected, not in Jerusalem where he ascended. It wasn't at the same time. It was a different time. He sent him to Galilee to get this one. So it's a whole different thing. Now, I want to show you this because you look at it and you go, okay. So they went from around Jerusalem to they went to Galilee. So I'm going to put a map up here and I want to show you something. A couple of reasons. One is I want you to understand. And two is because it lets me use this cool laser thingy, which I've really been wanting to do. So I get to do that as well. Uh, Melissa made me promise that I'm not going to point this at anybody. In particular, if you're asleep, I could maybe... <laughs> He's asleep, she's asleep. But anyway, I want to show you something. So if you'll stick with me here, I, I want to show you something that's really important. So here's a map, and I'll tell you what, I'll do it up here. You see that on this side? This is a map of this whole area right around in there, okay? And what we're starting with and ending with is right here around Jerusalem, outside around Jerusalem and Bethany, right there, okay? That's where the resurrection happened. That's where the ascension happened. But for some reason, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to Galilee, which is all the way up into here. It's all the way up into here, okay? It's about a seven to eight day walk. So what happens is Jesus is resurrected and he tells Mary, tell them to go to Galilee. That's where they're going to see me. Well, they have to walk for seven days. They have to walk for seven days to be able to go and to see him there. Why in the world would he tell them to go from there all the way up there to the Galilee area. And I know we know this, you, you've heard the Sea of Galilee, but the Galilee's an area around that sea. So it's, it's, it's really a, a, an area that they're heading to, okay? So let me think about, I want you to think about this for a second. Why would he say, take this long walk to Galilee without me? And then I'm going to give you an assignment. Here's what I want you to look at for a second. And I'm going to try and do this on both of them. So we're going to start right here, Jerusalem around Bethany, where the resurrection happened. Right outside Jerusalem, within sight of Bethany, which is a short walk. Bethany is the area where Lazarus was raised from the dead. Right within sight of where Jesus raised from the dead. They're going to be able to see that as they begin their walk. Then they're going to walk through Jerusalem. As they walk through Jerusalem, right around in there, they'll go by the temple. And they'll have to remember, these are the places where Jesus encountered the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is where he turned over tables. This is where he got in these big arguments with the religious people at the time. This is where he said, you want to know what a real temple is? I'm a real temple. I am going to be killed and then raised back up in three days. So he continued there through there. And then they went up through Jericho. If you look right here, they're going to have to walk up past Jericho. Jericho is the places where he healed a man named Bartimaeus, who was blind. Jericho is the place where he ran into a tax collector that was up in a tree. You may know him. He was a wee little man. That is Zacchaeus, yeah, and a wee little man was he. 
right? So they ran in, as they walked through there, they went through Jericho, where they had seen him heal the blind, and where they had seen him go into the home of a tax collector and redeem that man and show him there's a place in the kingdom for you. And then they continued up through there, and they went to Ephraim, Ephraim, which is right there. They would have had to walk past Ephraim. Ephraim was the place where Jesus went and his disciples, and they kind of hid after he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the plot to kill him came out. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees had said, we're going to kill him. So he went and he hid out up here in the Ephraim area, right in there. And then from there, he walked up. They walked up and they probably would have had to have that conversation that they had before. Do we go around Samaria or do we go through Samaria? And I'm sure they had to remember, you know, Jesus took us through Samaria before. And it was an important time because that's where he met the woman at the well. And that's the person that he finally first came out to publicly and goes, I'm the Messiah. And there's going to come this time where you're going to worship in spirit and you're going to worship in truth. And they had to have walked by there and to remember that and go, this is what he was talking about during that time. So they walked through Samaria, right through there. And then they would have had to go up around Nazareth, which is right there. Nazareth is the home of Jesus. That's where he grew up. And that's also a place where he went back to preach. That's where he opened the Bible and he said, Scripture's being fulfilled in me, and they tried to kill him. It's where he said, I'm actually the fulfillment of these Scriptures, and they tried to kill him at that place. And they had to walk through there, and you'd have to think that they remembered that. And then there's Cana right above that. Cana's right there. Cana is where he performed his first miracle. That's where he began a lot of his ministry. That's where he went to the wedding. And during the wedding, he said, is it my time or not? And he took water, and he turned it into wine. And that's where he began the first of all of his miracles, was there in Cana. And then they had to keep walking up past that, up to Capernaum. Capernaum is right there. Capernaum was actually where Jesus called home. It's where he lived during most of his ministry. It's where he kind of started. He went there after the 40 days in the desert when he was tempted. And that's where he came and he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And they had to remember those words that he was saying, that the kingdom of God is near. And then they continued up around the Sea of Galilee, which is right here and right here. The Sea of Galilee was where he would come and he would preach and he would heal. And that's where he calmed the storm for the disciples who were in the boat who thought they were going to die. And that's where he walked on water when they thought he was a ghost. And they saw him perform these amazing acts during this time. That's where he fed so many thousands with fishes and loaves was right there by the Sea of Galilee. And they spent this time and they had to walk past all of these things again. And then eventually maybe they went all the way up here to Chorazin. Chorazin right there, which is a, uh, a place where he spent some of his time after uh, the temptation as well. And then Caesarea Philippi right up here, Caesarea Philippi. That is the place where Jesus was when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And finally, one of his disciples go, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. And then Jesus made that comment. Do you remember? And he goes, oh, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And so he made that comment right there at Caesarea Philippi. Now, here's something interesting is he told them to go to Galilee. And then we hear that they said he went to Galilee and they went to the mountain that he told them to go to. And it doesn't say which mountain, but let me show you something kind of cool. So there's two mountains around this area. The Galilee is not that much of a mountainous area, but there's two mountains. There's Mount Tabor right there. And then there's, right, there's Mount Hormol right there. Mount Tabor is right there. And then you have Mount Hormon right up there. Now, these are the two places that experts tend to think that that is where the transfiguration happened. One of those mountains, 
They feel like that's probably where he got up. And if you don't know about the transfiguration, it's this time where he gathered his, this, a few of his disciples and he went up there and his face shone so bright that they could barely look at it. And his glory was revealed. And it was this time where he told, where they heard the voice of God say, now you listen to him. This is my son in whom I'm pleased. You listen to him. And then this is where Jesus said, don't talk about this. When the trans- don't talk about this until after my resurrection. So what you have is you have the disciples of Jesus being told to go to Galilee and having to do this long walk, one of the most important walks down memory lane you've ever seen where they had to be walking through there and going, and that's where he healed, and that's where he stood up and he preached, and that's where we saw him do this, and that's where we saw him do that, and that's where he called me, and this is where he calmed the sea, and this is where he walked on water, and this is the place that some of us saw him be transfigured, and we're not supposed to talk about it, but we can now. Wouldn't it be something... If he ended up, and we don't know which mountain, but if he ended up going to that mountain when he said, go to Galilee, go to the mountain, and they went, we know which mountain. It's the one where we saw his glory. It's the one where God said, hey, you listen to him. That's the place we need to go look. I don't know where they ended up going, but I think it's very likely that they ended up there. But this is the neatest part about this to me, and this is the part that I love, is that it was so purposeful for Jesus to go, I want you to take a long walk before I give you this assignment. I want you to go and you walk through all this area where all this ministry happened, where you witnessed what I did. You want to know what's going to equip them to become witnesses? This is this walk back through where they go, I saw it. I saw him do this. I saw people being raised from the dead. And I saw the blind being healed. I saw the deaf being healed. I saw the lepers being cleansed. I saw people being redeemed and restored that we never would have thought could have been redeemed and restored in any way. And then when they got there, on this mountain in Galilee, that's when he said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to preach the good news. You have what you need to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and then you're going to have what you need. But you have been witnesses, and this is how you will be witnesses. I can only imagine how it bolstered them to go back through and to look at all of these places where they witnessed the mighty hand of God at work through Jesus Christ. And that they would be able to say their witnesses. I think about it otherwise. The idea that Jesus would come and go, look, here's the deal. I'm going back to heaven. You need to go out and you need to preach the gospel and build the church. And if it wasn't for this witness of his power, I can imagine we just sit and look at one another and go, How in the world are we going to be up to this? How in the world do we have what we need to go build a church? We don't have the power for this. We are people who still doubted after we see him raised from the dead. We don't have the strength. We don't have the stamina. We don't have the know-how. We are not capable of making this happen until you take this nice long walk where you go, this isn't about us. This is about what he's able to do. You are witnesses to what he's able to do. That walk was not about walking through and going, look what I did. I did this and I did that and I did. What a lame witness. 
that would be. I can only imagine what that would have been like for the disciples if they walked through this and all they were focused on was what I did. They'd have to walk through and go, and here was the part where I thought we were going to die in the storm. And here's the part where I questioned Jesus about going to the cross. And here's the part where this is the place where for the hundredth time I didn't get what he was talking about when he mentioned the kingdom of God. Doubt, doubt, fear, doubt, fear. And he stayed with me the whole time. And not only that, he kept me with him. And not only that, he redeemed me. And not only that, now he's calling me to go be a witness to what I've seen through his power. That's what he called them to do. And they got that long walk there and that assignment. And then that long walk back to Jerusalem where eventually they saw the ascension. This reminder, what Jesus has done. This is what makes us witnesses. To be able to stop and to look and to go, throughout my life, this is what God did. And it's not just about healings, it's about where he healed me. That's the power of our testimony. The power of our testimony is that we have encountered a resurrected Jesus. We have seen some things. We have been through some things with Christ that make us witnesses. And now we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have everything that we need to be able to go and tell people who Jesus is and what he's done. And there's power in our testimony. You need to know the story that we have of what God's done in our life is really about the only thing that we have to offer that God goes, I need from you. I need your story of what I've done in your life. I need you to use that because I've decided I'm going to work through you. I've put this in your hands. So what I need you to do is I need you to go and tell that story. Revelation 12, 9 through 11, I want to talk to you just for a minute and show you something about the power of our testimony. This is, this is the book of Revelation, which is a vision of what happens in the realm, in the spiritual realm outside of the world, but it has so much to do with what happens to us. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. But they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's how they triumphed over lies, over accusations. Over the evil one who comes and says, you're not good enough. You haven't done enough. God can't redeem you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. You're not going to be okay. The end of your life is the end of your existence. There is no hope from you. And you know what overcomes that? The blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. Those things together. We have the blood of the lamb, just like they did after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his death. And then they had their testimony that's where the power lies. And it's not just to make converts. You need to know your testimony is not just something that you go out and you use as a sales pitch to get people to come. It's the way we strengthen each other. It's the way we still overcome the evil one. Because he didn't leave. He still comes here and accuses. He still comes and lies. And you know your greatest weapon against him is the blood of the lamb and the power of your testimony. I used to be dead. I'm not anymore. I used to be separated from God. I'm not anymore. 
I used to be an enemy of what he wanted. Now I'm redeemed and washed clean. That's my testimony through the power of the lamb, the blood of the lamb. That's who I am. So we have this testimony that we start with each other. That's the other thing that's so neat about this. You remember the scripture at the beginning. You're going to be my witnesses. Where? Right here in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Your testimony begins right here. Let me tell you, parents, it's the greatest gift that you can give your kids is to walk them through and go, let me tell you about how Jesus saved me. Here's where I was healed from addiction. Here's where he forgave me. Here's where he showed me about grace. Here's where I came to learn who I belong to in him. This is when I learned about hope. This is when he changed me. This is the story and the testimony that we have to give our kids. It's more than a passing on of rules and a way of doing worship. There's no power in that. The power is in the blood of the lamb and our testimony of how we've been changed. Walk your children on that great long walk down memory lane of here's what Christ has done for me. And I promise you, they will come to see who Jesus is so much better than if we teach them a line of rules of what to do and what not to do. Talk to them about that. Now, I want to talk to some of our older members here for a minute, some of us that have the white hair, okay? Let me tell you how important it is that you share this walk with younger people in the church. I can't tell you how it strengthens Young couples, young moms, young dads, young singles, teenagers, to hear you talk about this was what I went through and here's how the Lord sustained me. This is when I thought I had lost all hope and the Lord showed me hope. This is where I was broken hearted and he mended me back together. This is when I suffered loss, but I realized that even in that loss, Jesus has overcome the world and I will overcome that loss. It is so desperately needed. The power of your testimony, and I know a lot of times we look at that and go, I don't want to relive that. It's not what you did, it's what God did. He's the hero in the story. What you're passing on is what you witnessed. This long seven-day walk of what Jesus did in your life that we get to share with others. I have been witness to redemption I've been witness to sorrow. I've been witness to being reborn. I've been witness to great depths of being crushed and the Lord putting me back together and making beauty out of ashes. That's who we are. That's that great walk that we get to have. I got to tell you, I told you all before, I stop at Duncan on the way here every Sunday morning. And I used to do that because I got a coffee problem. I still have a coffee problem. But that's why I used to do it. Now I do it because I got my Duncan people, right? I got my people at Duncan that I get to talk to, and every Sunday morning when I come in, they go, what are you preaching on? And I have to have a Duncan speech, which some of you call it an elevator speech, which is if you can't describe what you're doing in the time of an elevator, I have to do it in the time that you get coffee and a donut. But I've come to love, love my people at Duncan. And so I came in this morning, they go, what's the sermon about? I go, it's about witness. What are you witnessing? What have you got to share? One of them goes, you know what? I got this journal. And all it is is filled with times where God's moved in my life. And I was like, what a great idea. What a great idea. You end up with this book that you could call in some way. I was witness to what God's done. I'm not the hero in this story. I'm the beloved one in this story. But Jesus is the hero in this. 
my God who redeems and who saves. Don't forget to do that. That's what we'll be spending the year doing, is talking about God being the hero of this story. Do not forget this long walk, how he's healed you, how he's changed you. And if you don't know that yet, we need to go back and take a deep dive on what it means to be saved and be redeemed by God. This will be our year. I'm looking forward to it with you. I'm looking forward to going through this and us exploring how God saved us and what it means for us to be the church and how we can bear witness to that with other people. If you would stand with me and we're going to pray and then we're going to spend a little time in worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your mighty power. We know that we have borne witness. We can get the same call uh, in our lives that you've given to the, the eleven. After you redeemed Peter and you said, I have a role for you, you will be my witnesses, where he got to go and tell people, I was the one who abandoned, I was the one who denied, and I was the one that was rebuilt and remade and redeemed and called back into your purposes. So, Lord, we ask that you would give us opportunity to remind ourselves of how you have saved us in every single way. Lord, let us remember that it's not through our own acts. It is through the acts of your mighty hand that we've been saved. And let us be witnesses throughout Kerrville, throughout Texas, and throughout the rest of the world in every single way of the power of your hand. And it's in the name of our resurrected Jesus that we pray. Amen.